Thanks, guys. So let me, let me just preface this real quick and say that, number one, um, my part of this is going to be insanely practical. Um, I, I don't have the qualifications that my wife has um, as far as dealing specifically with everything that goes with uh, special needs, specifically just so you know a little bit of background on us. Um, we both work full-time at a school, um, four kids specializing in autism. So there's about 120 students at this Christian school that we work at. Um, my wife's role is that she's the director of special services, which means she coordinates with about 39 school districts, uh, making sure that our students get everything they're entitled to get by law and according to their education plans. Um, but she also is over all the teachers and helping them kind of formulate how they're going to approach education with these students. Students. Um, I'm the chaplain there. And so uh, just a, a real quick intro to how that happened, because once again, I'm not qualified whatsoever. Um, it's kind of like when you marry a pastor and you just kind of become a pastor. Um, I married a special education teacher, and so I just kind of got thrust into it. And so uh, when we moved to Akron, we were in South Carolina for my wife's first year of teaching, and she teached at a school called McCarthy Tesler, which was both for um, special education and students with like emotional disturbances, things like that. So it was a very interesting school, to say the least. Um, their lockdown, lockdown policy was like on point. Um, but when we moved up here and she got the job that she's currently in, um, she was just teaching mostly younger students, right? Uh, and so one day, they, my wife just kind of called me and said, hey, um, we keep having these guys lined up to do chapel services for our students, and they keep not showing up. Um, and so do you think you could do a chapel service on a Friday for us? And I was scared to death, okay? Like, scared to death. I had no clue what I was doing because I walk into the room, and there are kids that are nonverbal. Um, there are kids that are super high functioning at the age of eight that want to discuss the Trinity and everything involving it. Um, you get a wide range of students when you're dealing with students with special needs. So um, with that being said, I'm sure your background, you probably have a ton of questions. And so what we're going to do here for just a minute is if you've got some questions you would, are hoping to have answered um, in this session, we would love to write those down. So my wife with the best, you'll see why she's a teacher. She has the best handwriting in the world. Um, she's going to write down um, your questions and then also my email so you can get a hold of us. But any questions you guys are hoping to have answered here this morning? Or afternoon, because it's after lunch. Yes. Okay, what do you do with one that disrupts? Yeah, this is like for the tallest per- I don't know how tall this teacher is, but like seriously, Dikembe Mutombo teaches music here. He gets to roll with it. Yes, Donnie. Let me encourage you real quick. One of the, the lowest functioning girls I've ever been around um, that was at the school my first year, her parents are actually missionaries. I can't remember where in Europe. Um, they, were in, uh, they were in Russia for a while. And they're, I think they're in Europe now. Um, but she did it really well for years. And so it can be done. I promise you. Uh, any other questions? It's good. Because that will be one of the biggest battles you face. Without 
uh, with your student ministry. Yep, absolutely, 100%. a good one. It's good questions. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, because absolutely, you can overcorrect the both ways to where it's like, they're here and we don't care what they catch. And then the other part is like, they're here and none of our typical students are going to care. They're not going to know anything. Any other questions? These are good questions. And I think most of these we're going to actually hit on, but if we don't, we will come back to it. And, and during the question and answer part, we're going to, I'm going to try and leave about 10, 15 minutes at the end for this, because I'm hoping some of the thoughts kind of spur some questions for you. Um, my wife's actually going to answer some questions as well, because once again, I'm going to be really practical. She's way smarter than me. So uh, we're going to include her on that. Any other questions before we we jump in? All right, so let me me start with this. Uh, First off, just just to help us understand why we're here. Um, Truthfully, I think the reason why we're here is that it is so important um, because this isn't just something we're going to have to maybe deal with in the future. Um, having ministry, ministering to students with special needs and to their families is very much a part of our present, um, but it's going to be even more prevalent as the further you go in this thing. Like, we can't afford to ignore it anymore or just keep um, your 15-year-old in kids' ministry until they get so old and you have to put, put them somewhere else. Um, we're, we're at a point where we can choose to embrace students with special needs as an opportunity, or we can just decide that we're going to be irrelevant and act like they're problems. Um, and so for us, we choose to see the opportunity. And a lot of times, the greatest opportunities come through our biggest pain, right? Opportunities come through crisis. And so um, here's just a couple things just to help kind of give us an understanding of why this is so important. Um, first thing is this, the divorce rate for families with students with special needs. Statistically, in most families, it's about 50%. For students with special needs, um, they say if you can make it through a few years, your marriage will be really strong. But if you have a student with special needs, it jumps all the way up to 65%. Here's what I can tell you. In in my family, um, I have two cousins that are are both children, students with special needs, both now a product of divorce. Um, This is statistically gigantic. This is why, especially um, if you've got a heart for single parents, uh, dude, welcome to the world. You're going to be introducing yourself to a lot of students with special needs because it's much more prevalent in that community. Um, second thing is this, as of 2012, and these numbers guys, just, you know, they typically trend in a, in a way that climbs. They don't typically go down about 13% of students. So those ages three to 21, um, were reported to have a learning disability. So once again, that number climbs. It's not like we see it go from 13 to like 8%. It typically just gets bigger. So that means even on average right now in your youth ministry, in your kids' ministry, in your church, um, over 1 in 10 has some kind of learning disability. The problem is a lot of times they might not even know it. And a lot of times we might dismiss it as bad behavior, um, but the truth is it's just gone undiagnosed. And so that's just another thing to think about. Um, Another thing here with the opportunity is that right now, uh, this is according to the Center for Disease Control, okay? One in 68 children are being diagnosed with autism. Now, it's crazy prevalent with boys. It's like one in 120-something for girls. But, I mean, think to average that out. For boys, it is 
insane how many boys are being diagnosed with autism. Okay, one in 68 um, is diagnosed with autism. And so once again, um, these can create problems if we let them, or they can be opportunities. Now, here's, here's my thing. Okay, when I, when I got into, um, into this, I'm now the chaplain at this school that we both work at. On Fridays, we do nine chapel services with our students. The, the ratio is smaller, so we keep them smaller. I'm exhausted every Friday. Okay, just want you to know that. I want to pat myself on the back a little bit. Um, but we do nine chapel services, and here's what I'll tell you. Um, a couple of years ago, when I started volunteering at this school, because I started volunteering there about six years ago, I had no clue what I was doing. It's been six years, and I still feel like in many ways I have no clue what I'm doing, okay? So here's, here's, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to talk to you today like I'm an expert, because I'm not. Um, but here are very much some lessons, what we're going to share, that, that I'm learning, um, and that we're still learning, and we're having to navigate through. Um, our last youth ministry position, we left youth ministry a little over two years ago to plant a church. And when we were there, we would have lock-ins with 70, 80 kids. Over half of them would be students with special needs mingling with our typical students, staying up all night, and I've only had to send one kid home, okay? That's it. The entire time I was in youth ministry for like eight years, only one one kid had to go home. So it can be done. It's just going to create some tension within that opportunity. So here's what I want to give you, just just four things, and then I would love for us to ask some questions. Four lessons that we've learned, that we're learning, we're kind of going through when it comes to ministering to students and families with special needs. Um, The first one is this is that language matters, okay? Language matters. Like, we know this, if you've read any kind of ministry book and they're talking about casting vision, creating culture, all these things, the words you use, they matter deeply, right? Because if you use the same phrases, talk the same way, you're doing all these things, you're creating buzzwords for your students, uh, phrases for your leaders, you're doing all these things because you're building culture through what you say. And unfortunately, um, a lot of times we've built a negative culture with how we speak about students with special needs, Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this one time, and I'm really hoping that it sticks, because here's what I did. There's a word I used to say all the time growing up that is now completely taboo, and if you use it, you should apologize profusely to your students, okay? We should never, under any circumstances, and I know it's hard, I used to joke about it all the time, we should never, under any circumstances, use the word retarded. Here's why, okay? I, I get it. Like, you, if I'm being totally honest, when I met my wife, we were 19, and I was told that word was taboo, and I shouldn't say it inside I'm kind of laughing like that's sensitive like whatever no big deal here's the thing though when you interact with families and with students with special needs that's one of those words that has been used to make them feel terrible about themselves that is the word that you could use and let them know that they are not like everyone else and that they do not deserve treatment like everyone else deserves we would not go around throwing racial slurs at people who've been hurt by them but yet we've made it acceptable to use the r word Okay, we have to get that out of our vocabulary, which also means when your students use it, you've got to gently pull them to the side and let them know why it's unacceptable. Okay, truthfully, you're going to have students that say that word or they do the hand motion where they want to put their hand up against their chest and make weird faces and grunts and everything. It's part of what people have grown up doing. I get it. I used to do that. But if we're a church and we're supposed to be for everybody, we cannot use language and create a culture that's exclusive. Okay, we want to make sure with our language and our culture, we're building a culture where students with special needs and families with special needs feel safe coming in. And so that's not even just with the R word, but it's also in how we talk about students with special needs. Like, would you bring your kid to a church if every time you met with the youth pastor, they just talked about how much of a problem your kid is? 
Or whenever the leaders have a meeting, they're like, well, these are just some difficult kids. Like, dude, they might be difficult. They might, they will cause problems, okay? They're just like every other student. They're not going to be the same problems that maybe your typical student creates, but they will. It's going to happen. But how we talk about our students and our families with special needs, it matters, okay? Second lesson we're kind of going through and that we've learned is that ministering to students with special needs is actually ministering to the entire family. Ministering to students with special needs is actually ministering to the entire family. Uh, One benefit we have of working at a school is that even though it's a Christian school, we get people of all sorts of different backgrounds that come in because they value the education even if they disagree with our uh, religious stance. And so we have a lot of, we have quite a few, I should say, um, lesbian couples with their kid with special needs at our school. We have a lot of single parents. We have a lot of people who um, have gone through a lot of hurt. But one thing we see at an increasingly alarming rate is that our families, when they get there, a lot of them hate church. Um, They haven't found a safe place to bring their families yet. Because once again, it's not just even in the language of what's going on, it's also in the way um, that we handle situations, right? So I I can tell you just just as a few examples, and this isn't meant to like make you feel bad. This is just stuff we've heard from parents and from grandparents who have these students, um, that you've got kids with special needs being beat up in the bathroom of churches, okay? You've got kids with special needs um, being sexually assaulted in the bathroom. Okay, this actually just happened to us a couple weeks ago at a trip we took students from our, our school to. Okay? Um, we have parents overhearing their kids being talked about in the hallways of churches. Wait, I mean, here's the thing. We would find that unacceptable about nearly any other people group, and yet we've kind of just gone, okay, because they've been a little more difficult to deal with. See, when you minister to the student, you're actually ministering to the family. Because here's the thing. How many of you guys have kids? Raise your hand. I, I don't have kids, but here, here's what I know. Um, how many would you agree that raising a, a typical student, typical child, is exhausting? Okay? Now imagine if you didn't have a single place you felt safe or a single person you felt safe to leave your kids with. I mean, think about that. There, there are so many families of students with special needs that are just flat out wore out. They're exhausted. Because nobody's taking the time to get the right training. So kudos to you. You're starting. That's awesome. Maybe you've been doing this. Or or nobody's ever taken the time to figure out how to work with that student or with those students. So once again, kudos to you guys. That's awesome. I'm so pumped you're here. Like this is huge. But when you minister to the student, you're actually ministering to the entire family. Because where the student doesn't fit in, the parents don't feel like they fit in. And if you can't minister to the student, then your senior pastor or whoever else will not be able to minister to the parent. So you are actually kind of becoming a linchpin for your church, if you think about it this way. That your church has all these processes, all these things that happen, but if you can figure out how to really minister to these students and these children, you're going to make the entire family better. The entire family. In fact, there's a, there's a family, when we were youth pastors, we left, um, that they decided they were going to leave the church because they, did, they didn't feel safe about it anymore. But we were able to hand them off to another pastor that we knew they're going to take this thing very seriously. And now their family, with three students with special needs, um, one of them now is in college. They're all flourishing spiritually because they were able to find another church that takes this kind of stuff incredibly seriously. Okay? So when you minister to the student with special needs, you're actually ministering to the entire family. All right, here's the third lesson. What we're kind of learning is that your team, who you serve with, whether you're the leader or you're somebody on the team, your team as a whole 
needs transparency and training. Your team needs transparency and training. When it comes to ministering to students with special needs, everyone has questions, right? I mean, would you guys agree with that? Like there are things that happen when you minister to a student with special needs that you go, oh snap, what, what just happened? Like, I don't know what triggered it. I don't know what happened here. I don't get it. Like, we were in a chapel service, and one of my first few there, um, there was this 21-year-old girl who mentally probably functions at, like, maybe a first, second grade level, if that, if we're being generous. Um, her name was Sarah. And, and Sarah loves to echo sounds that she hears. So if you make a sound that gives her a reaction, she doesn't care if it's a cuss word, a fart, or Jesus. She's going to keep saying that word because she loves the reaction. So we have her in chapel, and we also had a new girl that just started um, who she hates certain sounds. So if you walk up to her and you, or you're in a gymnasium with her and somebody goes, shh, she gets heated. All right. Like I'm talking this girl, she's got pretty long hair. She'll have her headphones on. She's probably looking down and doodle and all of a sudden she's like, stop making that shushing sound. Right. Like she just freaks out. And so we actually had a chapel service where I've got Sarah who won't do anything to get a reaction. Just going, stop making that shushing sound for like 20 minutes. We're going back and forth. And I'm just looking at my wife going, what do I do? Like, I have no clue what's going on. And so we had to figure out, like, how do we navigate that? So we had to kind of give Sarah her own chapel um, because she was ticking off the other girl and just, you know, she doesn't know any better. But, but here's the thing. I, I sit there in situations like that and I go, I have no clue what I'm doing. And guess what? Six years of doing this thing. I still, there are things that happen, things that come up where I look at it and I have to look at my wife and go, where did that come from? Like, like, what just happened? So here's the thing. First off, embrace the questions that your team has. Okay, don't, don't run from them. Embrace them. Embrace the questions you have. I, I firmly believe what makes us really great leaders, what helps us grow into great leaders, is that when we have questions and you get curious, you kind of chase that down. Okay? I, th- I think Andy Stanley said that. I'm not sure. But you chase down that curiosity. When you have a question, you have a thought, you don't just go, well, I'll figure it out someday. No, you, like, take the time to go after it. Right? So your team, when they have questions, they need the transparency. They need to know that you have questions and that you're a work in progress with this. But they also need good amounts of training. Okay, so when I was a youth pastor, we'd sit around the table and we'd talk about our students. We'd talk about their needs and kind of where we thought we could go with them. And, and I remember being in a youth leader meeting one time where we had a student come up who was uh, one of our first ones to really stick in our group that had special needs. And I'm just kind of going, I, I don't know. So we had to start listening and, and creating avenues for um, people like my wife, Katie, to sit and just talk to us. Okay, just tell us, well, hey, if you notice they get really upset as things get louder, it's because they, you know, for certain, certain students, they can't handle the noise. Some of them can't handle the lights. Some of them can't handle, like, the multiple avenues of, like, here's a million different inputs going on at once because we got the lights and the sound and the noises and the smells because you're in the room with middle school boys. And you got all these different things happening that are just overloading their system. Your team needs training on some of these things to know, hey, when, when Tim starts flipping out, here, here's probably why. It's because he gets really set off by, by loud noises. Or if he feels like somebody's getting angry, it automatically puts him in a defensive zone, right? So you have to kind of figure out your kids, which here's the best way to figure out your kids. Talk to the parents. Okay, now, there's no science to back this up, okay? So do not say that this is 100% true, okay? My wife will agree with me. But here's kind of what we've noticed, okay? 
We deal with 120 or so students at our school. We deal with other students that come to our church and we interact with in the community, go to autism walks, all these different things. Um, There's no scientific link saying that some of these special needs are genetic, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is. So a lot of times when you're talking to the parents, like you can get really frustrated because a lot of times we have more patience for the kids than we do the adults. And I get that. But you understand sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Okay. So ask the parents, but they'll be able to tell you. And it might be in a roundabout way. It might be in a way that you might want a 30 second answer and it might take 30 minutes to get there, but they're going to tell you about their student. Cause at the end of the day, they want a safe environment for their student to grow in. They want a safe place that they feel like they can take their student to and they don't have to worry about getting called in five minutes because, you know, somebody hit somebody or somebody flipped out and threw a desk, which, hey, once again, we had a student who, who now considers me like his best friend. Okay, this is the student that walks up to me every day and goes, Pastor Anthony, pick my nose, right? This is all he wants me to do, like grabs my wrist. Uh, this kid five years ago was like throwing desks in my wife's classroom, right? So they can, they will change, they will grow One of the best things you can train your people to do is have an incredible amount of patience with students and families with special needs. Because here's the fourth fourth and final lesson before we get into something else real quick, is that we need to learn how to take our time. Like, be cool taking your time. All right? One of the best things you can do is build a relationship with the student with special needs, but it's going to take time some time because it's going to take you time to figure them out. It's going to take you time to figure out what they do and don't like. It's going to take you time to build their trust because chances are they've probably been bullied at some point and they don't trust a lot of people. It's going to take you time. It's going to take your students time to get adjusted to having students with special needs and maybe some things having to change in the environment because you want to accommodate everyone. It's going to take them time to get over that. It's going to take time to crush certain language out of your, out of your group and out of your church. It's going to take certain time to get rid of certain gestures and way we joke with things. It's going to take Time. Everything with students with special needs takes time. We have to be cool with taking our time. We can't get frustrated, or I'll take the back. You can, okay? I'm not telling you how to feel. But we can't feel defeated when it seems like we're taking two steps forward and three steps back every once in a while. Because you will have ups and downs just like with every other, every other student. There's going to be certain things like, did you guys know that if it's a full moon, it affects a lot of students with special needs? I never knew that until I started working at the school five days a week. And then I'm like, what's going on? Why, why is everybody bouncing off the wall? Right? And they're like, oh, it's a full moon. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like full moon? Like, yeah, they're werewolves now. Like, this is a problem. <laughs> but it's true. It is. Yes. Yep. Pretty much if the moon's out, guys, it might be a problem, all right? Just, I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. It, it, things affect students with special needs that we've never thought because they don't really affect us that much. Or they affect us in such minor ways that it's not a big thing, and so we don't even notice it. Um, but we have to be cool taking our time. Okay, can, can I tell you one of the things that was the most frustrating with me as far as taking my time? Was we had, uh, in, our, in our last youth group, we had some students with special needs. We had two sisters, specifically, that we, we're a typical youth group. We have food all the time and everywhere. And we'd have these two girls that would eat themselves sick 
in our youth group, like throwing up in the bathroom because this little sixth grade girl ate an entire giant bag, family size of laced potato chips, and none of our adults noticed it. She's just sitting there back at the pool table like, ha, 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 ha. Like, I don't even think she's breathing, right? And so I'm sitting there talking to her afterwards like, well, why are you so sick? Did you eat too much? No, no, no. So you know what we had to really take our time doing? Is it took us time to realize that, man, because this was an issue, we had to have an adult just kind of constantly stationed by the food, right? Which I was more than happy to be that guy. Um, But... (laughs) You know, they wouldn't always let me because then it's like I'm sitting there with her going like, ah, least potato chips. <laughs> uh, but you got to learn how to take your time. Like, dude, build patience into your process, right? Um, everything you do is going to take time. So here, here's one last thought I want to give you before, um, before we jump into questions because I really hope you have some questions. I would love for um, either my wife or myself to be able to answer that. And maybe, once again, we might not even have like the perfect answer for you, but kind of wrestle that tension to the ground. Um, there's a guy who works for Dave Ramsey. You might've seen him on the news before. His name is Chris Hogan. Okay. Uh, Chris Hogan's got this incredibly deep voice, big African-American dude, like just used to play college football, super intimidating, but he's like one of the most intelligent guys ever. And we got to sit down with him a couple of times here over the past year or so. And he has this phrase that he always uses when it comes to leadership that I think really applies to ministering to students with special needs. I mean, he talks about how every single leader is going to get to a point in their life, in their leadership life, where they have to make a decision. Um, and it all comes from this one question. Do you want to be popular or effective? Do you want to be popular or effective? Now, I think most of us would say, yeah, we want to be effective, right? But then there's a cost to choosing to be effective over being popular. You're going to have some kids in your youth group that get extremely heated about it. Because all of a sudden, they want to know, hey, why can't we just play strobe light dodgeball in the youth room? Why do we have to do that in a different room and not everybody gets to go at the same time? Well, what you want to tell them is because, hey, i got three students who could have a seizure at any moment if they're around a strobe light. I mean, I do tell them that, right? But you just want to sit there and go, hey, dude, suck it up, deal with it. You're going to have pastor's kids Okay, that get upset about it because all of a sudden church is changing for them. Like you're, you're going to have some of your best students with your best families get upset because they don't understand. But the question comes down to you every single day is, man, are we here at this church to be popular or effective? Now, I think you can do both. But the question is, who do I want to be popular with? Like if my if my whole ministry model is based on me getting the high school quarterback. Hopefully that high school quarterback has autism, right? I can use him then. But here's the deal. We want to be, hopefully, churches that are for everybody. And I'm all about finding influencers and really going after that. But I love what James says, right? He says, pure religion is what? Caring for the widows and the orphans. And I don't think he just means widows and orphans. I think what James is getting at is we're called to care for people on the fringes of society. People who have just kind of been pushed off to the side. Like if we do that, I think God's going to bless us, like James says, in our doing. And so I want to jump into this completely and say, you know what? Hopefully our choice is we want to be effective because here's what I'll tell you. And I'm banking on this for our church plant, okay? We're, we're kind of walking this out right now. My guess is if we can become known as places that really facilitate love and caring environments for students with special needs, you're not going to be able to keep people away because those places don't exist. So do you want to be popular or do you want to be effective? It's a huge question for us.
So now with that being said, I would love to once again just kind of open the floor. And uh, some of these questions, let's see if we, if we, we can answer these right now. Um, and then if you have more questions, hey, we'd, we'd love to answer those. So uh, first question we had up here was, what do you do with disruptions? Um, <laughs> there's a couple ways you can handle that. Uh, number one, in some ways you're going to have to be cool with certain kinds of disruptions. Okay, you're, you're going to have some students with special needs that have ticks. Or maybe they have a fidget. Um, you're going to get kids that maybe just involuntarily like say something and it might not be church appropriate. Okay. Um, it, it's going to happen. So, so some of these things, it's kind of picking your battles and saying, okay, what disruptions are we cool with? And what disruptions do we think, hey, we need to have an intervention here and we need to do something about it. So you want to kind of tackle that a little bit because you're smarter than me? I'm going to stand close because of the recording. Oh, this is sweet. Um, okay, so disruptions. Okay, this like is that disruption? a little strange. Um, I think it, like he said, it depends on what the disruption is. Um, and, and is it making an effect on your, your big picture? Like, one of the biggest questions I always ask is, what would a successful, and fill in the blank, be? So what would a successful uh, night in youth ministry look like? What would a successful day in kids ministry look like? Whatever that is. And if it's not affecting that, that success, then I would say, why... You know, unless it's hurting somebody or, or disrupting the success of it, I, I would kind of ignore it. Yeah. Um, but definitely there's some disruptions that you have to address, but you never, ever do that from the front. Like, that's the most embarrassing thing that could ever happen to anybody. Like, no one would like to be called out by one mm-hmm. person individually. You know, you have a team that kind of um, is trained in whatever your model is to mm-hmm. kind of go alongside the person and just, just work with them. Yeah. One of the best things you can do, too, is if you know you have a student with special needs that commonly creates a lot of disruptions, um, feel free to give them kind of an adult buddy to be with. Okay? Um, you know, we've got a guy at our church now that the last church he, he was at, um, he, his whole role at that church was just he was one-on-one with a boy with special needs. And so he was just there to kind of help him out when things happen, when things were going on. And I know a lot of us are, are not working with the biggest adult ministry teams in our, in our churches, in our groups. Um, but even if you can find somebody, cause you might find somebody who maybe according to what a normal youth leader for you would be, would never be the right choice, but they might be an excellent choice just to kind of be somebody's pal, right? Somebody that's like, Hey, if they're having a tough time, like, Hey, can we go for a walk? Do you need to go get a drink of water? Um, sometimes once again, talk to the parents because they might even have something where it's like, Hey, when they're having a hard time, they have this little, you know, it might be a certain toy they have or something they have that's like a fidget for them. Um, and that tends to calm them down sometimes. So And here's the other reason you don't call it out from the front is because you see it as a distraction. Ten other people might see it as a distraction, but that student might have no clue what's distracting about it. And so it's not like with some other students where you can just go like, stop it. And they're like, what? And you're like, you know, and they stop what they're doing. And you're like, it's right. Right. This, this student, you might be like, stop it. Stop what? You know, no, I don't know. What are you talking? And it'll be like this 20 minute back and forth between the two of you. So where it's like, you just made the distraction even worse. So find ways to kind of get with the parents on that, get with the students as well. And you can even ask them like, hey, I noticed you were having a hard time staying quiet during church. Like, can you tell me what was going on there? And a lot of these kids have really big levels of self-awareness, okay? Like 
uncanny amounts of self-awareness to where you can sit down, like, like she said, I, I'm kind of in the role now where I, I get to handle some of the discipline at our school. We're K through 12. And so I get to sit down with kids after they've done things like, which is rare, be in a fight or, you know, disrespected a teacher or something like that. And normally when I sit down with them and I just sit there, like they can tell me what they did wrong. Okay. And they can tell me why they did what was wrong. And then you just kind of help reframe it for them a little bit. So, you know, have the conversations, be patient with them. Uh, it works out. Uh, yes. And a lot of parents will just tell you, uh, like honestly, because they know, hey, <laughs> I want you to know why it seems like my kid is different um, versus just guessing for a while. So a lot of parents will just tell you. Um, the other thing I'll say, though, too, the benefit of having those conversations and kind of getting away from the forms and more to, to personal interaction is like the one time I did have to send a kid home from a lock-in, um, he had been incredibly aggressive towards myself and some adult leaders um, to where Honestly, I would never suggest doing it. Please don't do it. I don't have the training to do it, and you probably don't either. But, like, I had to, at one point, physically restrain him for a minute, okay? Um, which, once again, comes with a lot of certain things. But because I'd had so many conversations with these parents leading up to that night, when I called the mom at 4 o'clock in the morning and said, hey, um, I need you to come pick your student up, and I need to talk to you when you get here. And I was able to tell her, hey, here's exactly what happened. We tried what you asked us to try. We tried some other things we know of. Here's how it went down. I want to let you know I had to restrain your student, and I would actually show her, here's, here's how I restrained your student, because I want you to know it's not like I'm putting him in a headlock, even though he's my size. Like, I, you know, here's what we did. Like, clarity matters with these parents. And so you're, there's some clarity you're just not going to get on a form or an online form or something like that. A lot of times it's once again where with a parent with a typical student, I might have one conversation. Maybe you're having three or four with, with these kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Please never do that. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. Oh.
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, ne yeah, in the back. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's actually, I've got a list that I meant to print off for you and I totally forgot to print it off. But what I can do is if you want to jot down my email, which you mind writing it up there, it's uh, just A Johnson, J O H N S O N, um, at innovation, I N N O V A T I O N. Akron.com. Um, we've we got a ton of resources we can point you to, a lot of video stuff online you can check out. Um, but also, here's, here's what I'll say. If you're in a church setting and you just want somebody to like talk to your team and, and you want to like bring them in or Skype them in, here's the cool thing. I, I'll just give our church this one plug. We've got six or seven licensed intervention specialists in our church. Um, we've just kind of attracted that. Okay, That's, that's kind of who we are. So we got a lot of that. And so we've got I mean, we just had one of the guys in our church just literally was out at a conference in Arizona to talk about some of these things. And so um, we have people that would be more than happy to, to sit down with your team, Skype with your team, answer any questions you might have. That's another great resource is just sitting down with somebody. Because uh, unfortunately, a lot of the resources you find online are going to be very much about the statistics. Um, and they're going to be very classroom specific. Because that's what a lot of the resources are out there. Like if you look up church resources for students with special needs, there's not a ton. Um, there actually are very few, surprisingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Don't have the people, yeah. And one, and once again, I, I would just challenge just like think of the possible opportunity there. Like like if you're saying you have quite a few even in your small church, how many more could there be if, if it's something we really pursued? And so, um, see that that's a tension, and I'll just say that's that's a tension. Like honestly, at the church level, we haven't totally wrestled down yet to figure out like okay, if we got a 24 year old that's comprehending at age 10, like what do we do? Because because on the flip side, there is there is like a a sense in which, like, hey, if you're the parent of a typical, stu- a typical student that's 12, do you want them hanging out with a 24-year-old? And so that, it's really something that's it's going to be church to church. is going to look different. I don't, I don't think there's a, a right way or necessarily a wrong way to approach it. Um, it's just kind of what it is. So I think anybody have, like, one more question? And I think we're probably about out of time. And, hey, here's what I'll tell you once again. Like, we'd love to talk to you after this. Or if you've got questions, you can email me, whatever. Um, And it's just, I think it's just like when you have churches that have like high school or middle school that meet on Sunday mornings, it's a choice for the parents. Like not every high school or middle school goes to that service. I think it's just an option for them. Um, but I think that's an incredible option to have because, dude, you will have, I guarantee it, you'll have probably twice as many as you started with within a few weeks because they'll be excited there's finally something for them. So uh, I think it's pretty incredible. So, hey, I, I think we're pretty much out of time. Uh, but if you have questions Man, you just want to chat, hey, we're here for that. We'll be just outside. We'd love to talk to you more. Or hey, if you ever have questions or you just want somebody to talk to your team, my email is great for that as well. Thanks, guys.